Welcome to the Content Journeys podcast, a monthly discussion about the world of content in business. I'm your host, Alan Porter. From practical use cases to the latest innovations, we'll take a look at where we are today and where we are going tomorrow. In short, the journeys we take with our content. Each month, we chat to an invited guest from the world of content. Practitioners, analysts, industry thought leaders, creative and operational folks to give a wider perspective as possible on how content impacts the business at every stage of the digital supply chain from idea to customer experience. This month, we're joined by DAM consultant and practitioner, Christina Hudat. And I asked Christina to join us on the Content Journeys podcast to discuss what it takes to get started as a digital asset management professional. But before we sort of dive in, Christina, maybe you can give us a little background about yourself and why helping people discover the career opportunities in DAM is something that's close to your heart. Sure. Hi, Alan. And thanks so much for inviting me to join you today. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. Personally, I've been working in digital asset management for almost nine years now. But like most people in the industry, I didn't actually grow up dreaming about this career. (laughs) Not like being an astronaut, is it? So I actually started my first career was in environmental science. And I started that at Penn State, where I studied ecology and digital mapping, also known as GIS. And I spent my summers doing things like interning on barrier islands off of the coast of Maryland. And I did some trekking in the cloud rainforests of Costa Rica. And I didn't know then that digital asset management was a technology that was kind of being born around that same time. I won't say when to age myself, but uh, <laughs> you, you can make a best guess there. So my career really took off when I moved to Florida, where I worked to protect freshwater resources and endangered species like a really cool species called the gopher tortoise. I spent some hot and sticky days hip deep in the swamps of the Everglades surrounded by hungry alligators and thirsty mosquitoes just waiting for my ride home in a helicopter. But that's the story for a different time. So I'll leave that one. I was going to say, that sounds like it would be a really interesting story for a podcast, but you're probably not this one. Definitely, definitely. Good times. Different career, though. Yeah. Then later on, I moved to Switzerland to get my master's degree in ecology and evolution. And I found an excuse to climb 40 mountains to study the plants that were growing on the peaks. And again, I had no idea then that the skills I had in managing scientific data and building relationships with people around me would actually lead me into my first role in digital asset management. And that was when I moved to London. So I moved to London about nine years ago, and I got my first break in DAM at the Botanic Gardens called Kew Gardens in London. And that was a real big break for me. They were an incredible organization to work with. I did a bunch of research before I started that role about what is this thing called DAM? And I was lucky enough that they really supported me in getting as much training and experience as possible because they also didn't really know what DAM was, but they knew they needed it. And then ever since moving to the UK nine years ago, I've worked on the client side. So after Q Gardens, I've worked with other organizations, large and small, including charities and cultural heritage organizations, as well as big corporates to help them to build, grow, and optimize their dam practices. And now, as a consultant, I have the pleasure of helping companies to solve all sorts of different problems around how they manage and deliver their content efficiently and effectively. 
Very cool. I will say, I think you have the most interesting backstory of any of the guests that we've had on the show so far. <laughs> I would love to. Sometime at a future conference, when we get back to doing the in-person ones, we need to uh, share a few drinks. And uh, I would love to hear more about the alligator stories. And, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> there's, some, there's some odd... Um comparisons between alligators and some stakeholders you work with in uh, I'm sure there is yes. <laughs> <laughs> so sort of get the conversation going we have a couple of standard questions we ask each of the guests so just thinking in terms of content in general what do you think about when you hear that word content used in a business environment what does it mean to you so content is uh is one of those buzzwords isn't it my first thought is really it's a it's a bit of a cluster it's kind of a mess and Honestly, content is whatever the business defines it as, is, is what I find. And actually, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about content is a little bit of a flashback to a client I worked with that banned the whole company from using the word content because they couldn't actually agree on whether it meant images, video, was it copy, was it the whole layout and the website, or was it something else completely? So they just said, please don't use that word. <laughs> That's interesting. I've never heard that before. A company actually saying you can't use the word content. Did they have another word for all, all those assets together as a whole or way of describing how they interacted with their clients? Or Yeah, the way that they talked about their content was more specific. So they either talked about designed assets or creative assets or back down to the basics of you know image, copy, video. Right. So they were defining it in very different ways. And, and it's really all about the terminology, isn't it? So every organization is going to use the word content in a slightly different way. Right. You make a good point there. In a lot of organizations, they use it without actually necessarily defining what it means. So it does become a catch-all that actually, in the end, could be meaningless because you haven't figured out what you mean by the word content. So, yeah. So sort of going on from that and talking about meaningless phrases, one of the things I like to sort of discuss really is... Content is king. Everybody uses it, but it doesn't really mean much to a lot of people. We hear it a lot, but often content is still overlooked in organizations. It's still not seen as a business asset, despite the buzzwords and so forth. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that content is often overlooked as a business asset? Content is a difficult thing to get right, isn't it? It's that basis of everything that we do to reach our customers, and it's that basic building block or Again, another buzzword, sorry, Alan, but uh, modular content or atomic content you hear about all the time now. And it's one of those fundamental, foundational things that we need in our businesses to reach our customers. And we're all totally overwhelmed by it. If you think about some big corporates, you've got at least 50 different channels that you're using to reach all of your customers. And you've got various iterations or formats of the same content used on these different channels. And it becomes this massive behemoth or a flood of content to manage. And honestly, content really isn't sexy. It's And it's hard to do well. So I think one of the reasons that businesses do overlook it is because it's hard. And businesses are still forgetting that every single piece of content that we have has value. And because it has value, it needs to be managed properly. And that's where our jobs come in as professionals is really to make managing that content easier and making this a little bit less overwhelming. You're right. I mean, content is hard, I think, is a, 
often overlooked because everybody produces content. We all write emails. We all write stuff. We're all taking photographs on our phones all the time. People tend to think content is easy, but actually figuring out how to manage it and deliver it and make sure it's the right content is hard. And it takes a lot of forethought. I always say damn is the sexy side of content because you're dealing with the images and the videos and the stuff more than the just sort of pure text or data or whatever. But even then, you still have to think about how you're actually going to engineer it and manage it to make it usable. You're right. Yeah, I like so, that. Going back to your extraordinary background, that was actually one of the reasons that sparked me wanting to get you on the podcast was actually hearing you talk a bit about your environmental studies on a panel you were on a few months ago. And how you applied those skills to them. And that, I found that very interesting. Can you give me sort of some examples of sort of your thought process of how working in a different discipline could be applied to digital asset management? How does that apply to sort of managing digital assets? This is a good one because again, if you had told me that I'd be working in the marketing field or anything to do with creative content, when I was working as an environmental scientist, I would have been very confused. Like, how, how am I possibly going to transition into this career? But actually, I was thinking about this. And the last job that I had in Switzerland before I moved to the UK and got into DAM was a real funny one. So my job was to stand in freezing alpine streams in Switzerland in chest waders. Again, I lived a lot of my previous life in chest waders. And I would electro stun fish in these streams. And then I would shove tiny little microchips into them. And then every day after that, I'd follow them around with a little device that looked like a metal detector. And that was my job. So going from that and making the leap into dam doesn't sound like an obvious transition. But in many ways, it was actually the perfect rehearsal for getting into dam. So I was working in an uncomfortable environment. I had stakeholders that didn't speak the same language. And I was using tools that didn't always efficiently meet the, the results that I was after. So a little bit of kind of a transition there into how I got into DAM. But more seriously, as a scientist, the essence of modern science is founded on taxonomy and data and data quality. You know, there were a lot of parallels for me in terms of how to explain technical concepts to people who are not especially technical. They don't necessarily care about how the content is organized. They just want to be able to find it. And so using some of those parts of my background, it does seem like it's a long, long way from DAM. But for me, it was actually an unexpectedly smooth transition into working with DAM practices. So DAM practices are made up of I like to say four specific elements. So you've got people, process, technology, and data. And all of those things come together in, in most of our lives in some way or another. What I find really interesting about the dam industry is that you can come from any background into dam. Yes, I came from an environmental science background, but I know lots of dam practitioners who have come from a creative background. They were designers or web designers or graphic designers, and there's a place in DAM for them. I know a lot of data geeks who are what I call Excel ninjas, and there's a place in DAM for them. And if you're really good with people and change management, there's also a place for you in DAM. So this industry is wide open. It's still young. It's still being formed in many ways. And I think the more the merrier, come on in with your different perspectives. And one of the things that I really love 
about the dam community is that we all come from different backgrounds. And because of that, we all have different perspectives. And so we approach problem solving in different creative ways. And I think that's a real advantage in this industry. Yeah, I, I sort of want to follow up on your point about this being a, a relatively young industry within IT or within content management. It, it is. I don't often think about it in those terms, having been in the content industry <laughs> way too long. But yeah, DAM is a distinct industry. It is relatively new. I mean, it's probably a couple of decades, if not less than that. Talking of sort of bringing people in, I know one of the things that you are very excited to be involved with is the Rutgers University program. Can you maybe talk a bit more about that program, its aims, and your specific involvement with it? Yes, the Rutgers University has started offering a professional certificate program in digital asset management specifically, and it's one of the first programs of its kind. And this is a series of six different courses that you can take through the university, all virtually, so you can join from anywhere around the world. And it's to help DAM practitioners get into this career path. So it's not a bachelor's, it's not a master's degree, it's a professional certificate program. And it was co-founded and it's now co-directed by David Lipsy and Yona Levinson. And it was started two years ago and we've had more than 400 students who've been through the program already. And David and Yona were just named the instructors of the academic year for the Rutgers University School of Communication and Information Sciences professional programs in 2021. So a real accolade to this program. It's taking off and growing all the time. And I was lucky enough to have the pleasure to be invited to instruct one of the courses this year called Dam for Glam. Fun title. (laughs) We were all excited about that one. And it's all about, of course, galleries, libraries, archives, and museums. So the glam sector. And that's where I started my career at Kew Gardens, was in the glam sector, working with their archives and herbarium. So to me, this is really close to my heart. Honestly, when I started in DAM nine years ago, I really wish there had been a program like this because I I just wanted to jump into it headfirst and get to know about it. So I feel like this is an amazing program that's available for any professional adults out there who are interested in getting into DAM. And we get students from all over the place, including videographers, photographers, librarians, archivists, vendors like you guys also send us some staff to learn about DAM and to get onboarded. And the idea is that we're trying to set up companies and the professional individuals in this industry, set you up for success. Uh, There's so many different pitfalls in DAM. And like I said, you've got to really get that balance just right between the technology, the people, the process, and the data. And this program is helping to guide you through all of those areas. Also, the students who join these courses are joining a great network of other DAM practitioners. So we already have the students talking to each other on alumni forums and getting each other jobs and helping each other through problems. It's a, it's a really beautiful, beautiful thing. That's great. It sounds really exciting. And yes, Maxi is very honored to be involved with helping out with some of the software on the program with Rutgers. And, and David was actually one of the earlier guests on this show too and uh, had some very insightful things to say about the future of DAM. So uh, glad to see it sort of all coming together and sort of gaining momentum and the ideas are, are really moving forward. That sort of leads into my next question. You mentioned librarians when we were recently actually on a Henry Stewart webinar on the theme about how DAM librarians can prepare for sort of what is 
to some extent, an uncertain future. As a sort of recent dam practitioner and now a consultant, are the trends that you're spotting that you've noticed that people just getting into the industry really should be aware of and be maybe focusing on? Is there sort of particular hot topics for people getting into the industry to be thinking about? Trends, as you know, Alan, are a very dangerous thing. No, trends can be tricky. I think, you know, I could talk about artificial intelligence and, you know, all the scary robots that are going to be doing our jobs for us, hopefully, anytime now. I'm waiting, waiting for that. Um, (laughs) I think really, as an industry, sometimes we get excited about trends and we can be our own worst enemy because we get sidetracked, really. I like to say that, especially for people just getting into the industry, focus on those basics, right? So the basics of digital asset management is where the meat of the value is derived. Again, it's probably not so sexy, but things like metadata management, governance, risk management, all of those things are foundational. You've got to get those right before you can go off and try to do some of the cool and amazing things that are out there and that vendors are are working on really hard to release to make our lives easier. But in terms of trends, There is one, I'll put it into double quotes, trend that I've noticed coming out of the industry over the past few years. And it was only at the beginning of this year that I took an agile change management course to become a practitioner that I realized that all these years now, I've been asked in all of these roles by all of my clients to be a change manager and not just a digital asset manager or a project manager or even a product manager. But in this career, you're often asked to be a change manager. And that includes things like getting people to adopt the system, getting people to want to use it, moving the staff members, including your internal staff, but also agencies onto new platforms and convincing them that this is a good idea and how it's going to help them share the benefits with them. And it's a real skill set. Having taken this agile change management course now, I understand there's, there's a whole psychology behind it as well. There are so many important factors that we need to think about, about how to bring people along on the journey with us, especially right now. You know, we've just gone through a pandemic, starting to come out on the other side of it. Things are changing for everybody all the time. For most of us businesses that we're working with, you know, they probably have about three, four, maybe more different platform changes going on, staffing changes, changes in organizational structure, all sorts of changes. And and we're being bombarded with all of this. And so how do we remain resilient and how do we also keep our stakeholders kind of ticking along with us? to make sure that our dam systems are and dam practices are a success in the end. And that's a real challenge. It's, there's no right or wrong answer to it, but it's definitely something that I would encourage anybody getting into the dam industry to think about. There's an important element of the people side to consider. Yeah, very much so. I, I had two real takeaways from, from what you just said. One is be aware of the shiny stuff, but focus on the basics. Yeah. And the other, the other is relatively speaking the technology is relatively straightforward but change is difficult and that's the hard bit is you've really got to think about the people side and that's true i've seen that numerous times as well is it doesn't matter how great the technology is unless you get the change management right people aren't going to use it so 
wholeheartedly support everything you just said about change management. I think it really is a, a very important skill that we all need to learn, not just around technology, but as you said, things are changing around us so rapidly at the moment anyway. We all need to figure out how to deal with that and the impact that has on people. And at the end of the day, business is all about people. So as much as we like talking about the technology, business is all about people. So (laughs) (laughs) It's like a little bit of uh, internal therapy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'd like to round these off with a sort of a final thought question. If you could consider one area that our listeners could focus on right now to drive more value from their content and what they're doing, what would that be? What's that one thing that people could maybe come away from this podcast and really focus on? I mean, you could call this a trend, I guess, but one of the things that is really kicking off these past couple of years and is, I think, is not a trend, it's not going away anytime soon, is personalization. There's real value in personalization because we talked before about how we've got this flood of content and we're trying to get it to the right customers at the right time. And how do we do that without overwhelming them as well as us? <laughs> um, I think personalization and giving each customer their own customer experience is going to be where the value is driven for not just digital asset management, but the entire content marketing ecosystem, right? So that includes your PIM and all of your other delivery platforms as well. So the way I like to think about this is in terms of kind of a basic example that I think we've all experienced in the pandemic. So Alan, do you do your grocery shopping online now? <laughs> I was it for a, for a long time. Yeah, I've actually gone back to in person grocery shopping. But yes, there was a period when we were doing a lot of online yeah. grocery shopping. Yeah. And what what kind of milk do you put into your orders? Two <laughs> percent for those folks in the UK. Basically, there is no such thing as two percent milk. So what what is it in the UK? I, there was one thing when we moved to America. I got it wrong. We went into the supermarket looking for. Um, is it skim milk? Skim milk, semi-skim milk. We went into the supermarket looking for semi-skim milk, and of course, there's no such thing in the states as semi-skim <laughs> milk. We ended up buying half and half, which is not semi-skim <laughs> milk. <laughs> Believe you me, it does not taste good on your cereal. Um, but that's a, my own little localization story. But uh, yeah, so two percent like milk in American terms, two percent milk. Yes. Yeah. All right. So if you're buying two percent milk, right, and you go on to the website or the platform to go and do your online grocery shopping for that week, you expect to get maybe get a discount on 2% milk. If they throw up oat milk, that's not you. That's not right for you. (laughs) What we want to do is we want to drive that personalization and make sure that Alan is getting a discount for 2% milk and not some other type of milk that he doesn't drink. And so to do that, we need to have these foundations built. We need to have the dam systems with the right content in there that is right for Alan and for all of our other customers as well. And we also need our different systems, including our PIM and our ERPs and whatever other systems we're working with to all be integrated in a way that enables personalization at the customer point of contact. And that's a really hard thing to do, but there's a huge amount of untapped value there. A lot of companies are trying this out and still finding their footing in terms of what works and what doesn't work. And I think this is an exciting area that is never going away. I can't imagine it going away. Can you, Alan? No, I can't. But I actually think it goes neatly back to the conversation we had at the beginning about defining content. And a lot of companies talk about content without defining what they mean by content. Um, in my consulting days, I worked with a lot of companies that had 
mandates that came down from the C-suite saying we need to do personalization, but had actually never defined what they mean by personalization. They didn't define that level of granularity that you just talked about, about down to the individual, you know, were they personalizing across a market segment, a customer base, a geography, a particular group of users, or right down to the individual, they'd never actually thought what personalization means. To do that right, I think you're right, it's a great place to be focusing on. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. But again, we've got to figure out and define exactly what we mean by personalization before we sort of start heading down that route, because you can spend a lot of time and completely miss the target. Yeah, very interesting. And thank you yeah. for reminding me, reminding me of my uh, half and half milk uh, traumatic experience from 25 years ago. <laughs> I still think it's a shame that you can't get double cream in the U.S. Uh, yes. That's something I, I've, I've discovered in the U.K. that I just absolutely love. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Christina, for your valuable insights. It was a pleasure talking to you again. Uh, we really need to uh, get together in person, hopefully, before too long. Absolutely. Uh, I want to hear some more waiter stories. Um <laughs> Where could our listeners find you online if they'd like to interact more with you or find out more about the services that you offer through your consulting business? All of you can find me on LinkedIn, Christina Hoodart. I think the spelling is going to be in the description, but it's with a K and Hoodart is H-U-D-D-A-R-T. Or you can find me on hoodartconsulting.com. And actually, something I wanted to mention, Alan, is that I, over the years, I've always been trying to learn and I know all of you are trying to learn as well. So I signed up to all of the newsletters. So I get alerts about all sorts of podcasts and webinars and upcoming conferences and events. And what I've done as a way to give back to the community, like I said, the damn community has given me so much. So as a way to give back, I curate a calendar of upcoming events of all sorts for you on my website. So check that out if you're looking for places to learn about marketing and creative operations and digital asset management. That's a great service. Thank you for that. I will definitely check that out, see what I'm missing. So thank you, Christina. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll catch up soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Alan. It's great to be here Thanks. with you today. If you enjoyed this discussion and would like to learn more about industry-related content insights, please join us at the following webinars and virtual events. June 8th, where are you on the damn continuum? June 17th, AI, the future of content management in financial services. Also on June 17th, own the digital shell, strategies for food and beverage companies. And June 30th, leveraging data to deliver a digital personalized customer experience. You can find more details and registration links at the Nuxio website at nuxio.com backslash events. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Content Journeys. Got a question or a comment? You can find us on Twitter at Nuxio and just use the hashtag Content Journeys. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share and don't forget to subscribe to the Content Journeys on your favorite podcast platform. And if you could leave a rating and a review too, that would be great. If you would like to participate or if you know anyone that you would like to see featured in this podcast, please leave us a comment. A special thanks to Christina Huddart for joining us today and thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm your host, Alan Porter. Stay well, stay safe, produce good content and enjoy your journey.
content journeys features the copyright-free music of Island by Jericho and special thanks by Roa. Content Journeys is a Nuxio production in association with Albrecht Training and Design, LLC. Copyright 2021.